Welcome, everyone, to Andor, a Star Wars podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial podcast for the Galactic Core. My name is Matt, and joining me in the repair bay is Pete. Hello, Pete. Rebels unite. This is the Andor podcast by Fantastic Geek for Andor episodes one, Casa, two, that would be me, and three, Reckoning. Pete, looking around the the multiverse galaxies of things that we podcast, yesterday was our first She-Hulk Friday as our She-Hulk podcast moves to that day, and uh, certainly had a lot of fun discussing the latest largely self-contained episode, and uh, can't wait to discuss Star Trek Lower Decks tomorrow for Star Trek Sunday. Amazing that we've just got three more She-Hulks, and we're halfway through the season on uh, Lower Decks already. Bringing it back to Star Wars, just in the last couple of days, there was a, a bittersweet article in Vanity Fair about the uh, Ukrainian voice synthesis company that's been working uh, for Lucasfilm, doing a lot of the Darth Vader stuff. Uh, but they've continued to work through the invasion. Um, a detail from that article, which I have to take deadline to task deadlines. Headline was, James Earl Jones signs voice rights uh, in perpetuity to Lucasfilm, which is really great, but it's missing the point that there's this really cutting edge company that's working through incredibly challenging circumstances to a point that Lucasfilm wanted to maybe back off on what they were asking of them. And they were saying, no, let us work. Give us, give us something to do uh, while the country is, is incredibly challenged. Give us kind of give us purpose and direction here. And um, just kind of just an inspiring article there to read. It- it is. I was unaware of that detail. Um, James Earl Jones had been in the news locally, New York area. They had just named a theater after him, but he did not attend. Uh, he's 91. Um, you know, listen, fingers crossed and, uh, you know, hope the man lives forever. He is an icon. Uh, he was in the uh, Coming to America uh, sequel. What was that? A little bit more than uh, 18 months ago. It was great, um, you know, but age catches up. And, uh, you know, at the very least, this Ukrainian technology uh, in, a, in a war struck land now will allow his voice to continue forever. So, boy, Matt, if that doesn't speak to a rebellion, I don't know what does. Well said there. Uh, bringing things closer to Andor here in the last week, The Hollywood Reporter had an interview with Andor showrunner uh, Tony Gilroy. Pete, the title, the headline of that article is Andor creator Tony Gilroy urged his team to put aside their Star Wars reverence. And it goes in to talk about how uh, how he had to remind people to to keep it real. You're here because we want uh, because we want you to be real. So stop being so amazed in Star Wars. I get it. Okay. We all like Rogue One. I, I don't know anyone who doesn't like Rogue One. Okay. But I am down on Andor is down on Star Wars. Like, yeah, is it great that we're about to podcast three episodes of a Star Wars prequel to a prequel <laughs> that, um, you know, uh, a lightsaber, a stormtrooper, uh, a Jedi uh, never appear. 
Okay. Um, that's great. Okay. But can we cool the hot take of, you know, Star Wars that is Star Wars is uncool. Okay. Because there's your Mandalorian and there's your Ahsoka and there's all this other stuff that is, you know, Star Wars as well. It's great that there's a new flavor of this. Kind of tired of seeing the headline too. This is Star Wars for adults. You know what? Uh, sometimes I, I want my Star Wars to not be for adults. Okay, you've you've broadened the tent here. Awesome. And Pete, before we officially dive onto these episodes, one more alert here. We will be discussing all three episodes that dropped this past week, episodes one, two, and three. While I don't think necessarily in our recap of episode one, we're going to be referring to two and three directly. Like, this is the whole thing. So if you have not seen all three, uh, this is where you can hit pause and come on back. Plug in. You should be able to interpret the entire Imperial Network. Let's take a closer look at the data tapes smuggled out about these episodes. The Star Wars card there with the addition of B2 EMO gives way to the Andor title card, after which streetlights glare and rain glistens as a hooded man walks a causeway on Morlana One's Preox Morlana Corporate Zone in BBY, that's before Battle of Yavin, five. So we're five years before the original Star Wars. As he seeks refuge from the storm, he enters the Star Wars equivalent of the Red Light District with different species beckoning from behind glass balls. As he goes to enter a club, he's scanned by a male guard and told no weapons, comms, credit, nor nonsense, removing his hood. Hey, that's Cassian Andor. Pete, he's from the movie that ends this that ends this overall storyline here. There's electronica music blaring. There's a, uh, a, a a sensual hollow lady, perhaps hinting at the purpose of this place. At the bar, Cassian orders a drink and is told he pays at the end. The end of what? Oh, my. Uh, mustache Man, Guard One, uh, tells Cassian not to think about it uh, in regards to the look towards the, the, the barkeep there. A, a woman with wonderful hair talks to Cassian. Pete, this an episode that does not overfloweth with, hello, I am this and you are that. And let's talk about where we are because we're in a pilot episode. We're diving right on in. She asks if he, if it's his first time visiting this place. Uh, it is. Great. It's a quiet night. Um, the mustache man and his compatriot, Guard 2, uh, would like some attention from this woman here. Uh, but they're told that they have to wait for Ghani. Uh, and if you don't like it, essentially too bad. They were first after all, Matt. Uh, the woman apologizes to Andor who tells her she should take care of them because it's a company town, but she says they're just sentry guards who like to play at being cops. So what is Cassian Andor here for? He says he's looking for a girl from Canari. Now, is it his girlfriend? He, he says he does not have one. Uh, is he from Canari? Is he nostalgic, perhaps? Uh, the woman steps away, and Cassian looks at the guards 
the mustache man wondering if, if as he looks over there, does he find something amusing? There's tension. There's clearly a kind of, you know, two on one sort of feeling here. The, uh, the, the working woman returns. There is no girl from Canary here. There was one. She left a few months ago. Uh, so what is he to her boyfriend, husband? He says, whispering, he's looking for his sister. He has a sister. Uh, as for her name, uh, he is told by the woman rather incredulously that no one here gives their real name. Uh, with that, the, uh, the the working woman steps away from the bar and uh, Cassian leaves back into that Blade Runner-esque rain. Back out of the door here, the doorman giving his spiel to another patron. Soon the two guards are screaming for Scrano, that's Andor, to slow down. They tell him to stop as he's in the pre-more corporate zone and employees are requested to present their IDs upon request. If he's parked outside the causeway, which is off limits to visitors, they'd have to find him. Then there's the visitor's curfew. They'd have to impound his vehicle or maybe he swam. They draw on him and he puts his hands up, telling him, uh, telling them he has 300 credits in his coat pocket. What are the chances that almost exactly covers what the fine, the towing charge and their personal processing fee is? But Andor is not moving. If they want it, they have to take it from him and he walks away. Mustache puts uh, his gun to him and uh, the other removes his hood. Uh, Andor is pistol whipped and tells the other guard that it's in his other pocket before headbutting him. And then Mustache fires. Andor grabs the gun and wrestles it from him telling him to get up uh and then mustache turns the other guard over and says he's not breathing Burlo. that moment preceded by the great rage-filled line from cassian uh, once cassian has the blaster tell me what to do you know uh obviously he in the power position there now uh the the uh first guard the mustache guard you can see you know there are no small parts only small actors this a very fine actor here as he realizes oh wait his buddy is dead verlo is dead uh the same could happen to himself mustache man and he starts to put together the 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 new plan there was just there was a little tussle here there there was a there was a stumble we were playing around we got a little too too heavy-handed here uh verlo fell hit his head you know again kind of essentially proposing let's let's go in on the lie here instead pete in case you didn't know what sort of star wars show this was going to be cassian shoots him in the face we cut to cassian running back uh, under those lights from the beginning uh, and at a spaceport a ship launches and takes to the sky and indeed to space rather Y wing looking with its rear engines there a boxy droid with a mismatched wheel rolls around on ferrix in the morlani system free trade sector 
as the alien hounds seen in Solo run toward it. It shrinks down to avoid drawing their attention. But a male comes back to <clears throat> mitricate on it, causing it to draw an electrode and shock him before continuing on its early morning way into a scrapyard and some sort of ship turned home. The stuttering droid tells Cassian it brought what he told him. As he repeats his name, uh, we hear Cassa, uh, who is awakened by his sister in Canari, as children point skyward. A streaking ship explodes and heads to crash as another girl waves at it, but is addressed by another older uh, girl to stop. Cassa puts his arm around his little sister as they watch the ship hearing it crash in the mountains. Back in the present day, Cassian wants to know from droid B2EMO who had visited there. We get a list of characters uh, on upon first view. Don't have faces for them at this point. Uh, there's a pause for data lag and B notes that Cassian has a reputation as a man of low character. So at the very least, Pete, if the whole face shooting thing didn't tell you that, uh, we're getting some, you know, piled episode exposition here. Um, Cassian asks uh, that, uh, you know, will you lie for me, B? Will you say that you didn't see me? Uh, it will take extra power to do so, but uh, B feels he can do that. Uh, B can't go with him, and B is sad. Pete, we are sad, made mm -hmm. sad yet again by a droid. Uh, and Cassian runs off as uh, B2 EMO continues to be adorable. Removing a piece of metal caught in B there and telling him to take his time. Bustling workers in town here, including an alien with the big kind of lifter arms repurposed from The Force Awakens on Jakku. Gloves on the wall, with the exception of one empty spot and circles open as workers uh, exit and grab the gloves. A man tells Cassian he doesn't look so good. He came by for him last night. He says he went home and fell asleep. Cassian corrects him and says that he came by and he wasn't there and he started home and then saw him at the hotel bridge. Uh, the other man, Cassian explains, decided uh, to go to Cabo's, but Cassian said there were too many people there. He owes money. Who's going to be asking? The burlier man wants to know. Cassian tells him he still had half a bottle of Nog stashed at home, so they went there and drank themselves to sleep. Please, please. The bigger man says Cassian insulted his choice of beverage and he helped him back into a chair when he fell. Uh, he was gone when he woke up. He's come there now. Cassian has to apologize. And the other man accepts that apology. Uh, Rashi calls the man Brasso uh, and tells him to come. Uh, whatever this is, uh, Brasso tells Cassian when it's done to put his boots on and get to work. Uh, Cassian knew he could count on him. Brasso tells him he's not lending him any more money 
as he boards a tram. Brasso tells Cassian to tell his mother she can afford to put the heating on as it was freezing there last night. The story returns to Morlana 1, where a report is being read to uh, yet another mustachioed boss man, Pete. I think I'll just skip ahead slightly and say this is chief inspector perhaps um the the report having been uh created by the deputy inspector uh and indeed the report is of two dead men one kravas suspects well there was a human asking about a canary girl now pete eagle-eyed viewers might recall that that's what happened earlier in this very episode indeed. uh <laughs> they were not robbed uh these two men it's, it's a tough case with bad timing the young man, the deputy inspector, asks for proper resources and a little time to run this all down. Uh, he is told to stop both talking and in general. Great line. Uh, the chief inspector weaves a tale of a regrettable misadventure. Two pre-moor employees caught up in a, in a sad situation. So let's create a story, given that these men were in a brothel that we shouldn't have, spending money that they shouldn't have had on drinks that aren't allowed. Uh, so, Deputy Inspector, you know, finish the details uh, here. The men cross paths with the wrong man, you know, something that is uh, kind of sympathetic but heroic, but also not that memorable. And, oh, get it done because Chief Inspector with the white mustache here is off to an Imperial Commander Confab. He's going to be giving a speech about reducing crime. And, uh, of course, if we report less crime, then we won't be thought of as a crime-ridden place. Uh, that will draw less attention from the Empire, and we all will be happier, including everybody who currently works for the uh, the security forces here. Ahem, ahem, like you, Deputy Inspector. The world weariness of this Chief Inspector, you know, closing the door to explain, listen, kid, you know, I know you're all into your tailored uniform with your pockets and your piping and all that. And you like to play cop. And these guys uh, took it too far. Understand that uh, this is a cautionary tale. Don't wind up like them. OK, they're dead. Uh, we're not going to bring them back. Whoever did this is gone, and they clearly harassed that person. We go back to Cassian, uh, who wanders into a shop of some sort. Later context is it's yet another mechanic stripping building sort of shop here. Uh, he's looking for a lady in the yard. Uh, she is under what appears to be a, uh, a speeder engine, uh, taking it apart, uh, when she's finally pulled out of there, she says that she's busy, uh, but Cassian says he's going to be quick. How fast can she get in touch with her friend, you know, the one who buys, the one who I'll call the buyer because I don't believe he's named at all in these three episodes except for subtitles. Uh, Cassian is selling and can't wait. Must be done now. Help Cassian out, Bix. Oh, okay, we're halfway through the scene. We're naming the character of Bix. Thank you, Tony Gilroy. Um, we can't even wait until the end of the week. Um, but questions, what has he done? What has he got that he's looking to sell? It is an NS Starpath unit. There's NS Vector. nine Starpath unit. Don't short the other eight. Uh, I, I do apologize there. Pete, there's Vector crystals and the Imperial seals still intact. I don't need to explain to our listeners what makes all that so impressive. So Pete, you can. 
yes, there's uh, enough worth to this to get out and lay low. Uh, He held out on her, though, Bix charges, and she skims off the top. Andor says um, he's not selling it to her. And then a man comes in. uh, He asks if uh, they're going to bid on the Wabani run tomorrow, uh, a location we've seen before. We'll talk about when we discuss theories. It's Jeef that wants to know. Um, but, uh, uh, the discussion here turns to, uh, you know, who is this guy, uh, between Bix and Andor, uh, Bix tells Cassian that he'd do anything for her, uh, and that he knows nothing about any of this, uh, but Andor really needs help. Uh, she'll let him know. And now he should go fix his face. Shades of a romantic triangle of sorts. Uh, that'll be mined a bit more in these future episodes. Uh, and certainly, certainly, Pete, more on Tim, the boss man, in a little bit. We go back to the rainforest flashback story among the Canary people. Uh, the production design giving a sense that these are are. Uh, indigenous people i mean obviously they're indigenous to canary but i think there's an element that we as as earthers identify as indigenous young casa is looking to to uh leave the uh leave the area there he apparently you know this none of this subtitled he apparently tells his sister to stay put the older youths use ash paint on their wrists and noses and chins uh but not yet cassian not for him however after a moment, he is allowed to add paint as we slowly unwind this uh, story of young Cassian. And does it in the same pattern that the older girl had? So clearly there is some identification with her. The deputy inspector uh, standing outside a room, greeted by a couple of uh, subordinates before he enters. Uh, this is an air traffic control type of situation. Um, and there was a sublight something, perhaps an Orlean star cab or a day van, some old thing. Well, it just strolled through a checkpoint. No ID, just wandered in. Uh, but the nights get busy. He knows how that traffic is. Uh, but the deputy inspector here doesn't know if he's more disturbed that their corporate borders are unprotected or the air traffic controller's complacence about it. He wants it found, wants to know when it left, where it went, but I'll have to filter the entire night. If that's too much, he should let the deputy inspector know because he's sure somebody wants to sit in that chair. The subtext in this scene is delicious. Uh, as the deputy inspector had been waiting at the door, one realizes when he finally opens it that it's just a button push away from opening it. So it's not that he's waiting or unlocking or anything like that. He's psyching himself up, and I think that's what the lower staff that walked by were, were kind of laughing at. Um, and then similarly, he's in there. There's kind of the 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 emotional eye rolls of the 
of the worker there. It's just a thing that slipped through. Like it's in the real world, these minor things happen all the time. But the deputy inspector is all chapter and verse in terms of uh, making sure, you know, Pete, let's either secure the borders or fire all the air traffic controllers. Don't know where they get all this stuff from. Back to Andor, uh, Nurchi crosses paths with Andor. Nurchi wants his uh, deposit back, pay back that money, uh, or else uh, Vetch, the giant alien, closes the space there. Uh, are the two of them going to threaten him? Andor quickly drives a wedge between the two, uh, determining that Vetch is there because he was told to just stand <laughs> there and stand close, and that sort of thing. Um it really, really is. And Nurchi is told to relax and Andor won't mention to anyone that this happened. Yeah, even though Nurchi's not going to be a loser like the others who lets him float until they forget. Uh, Bix tells Tim that she has some errands and won't be long. However, he follows her. Uh, watching her, he walks into a man carrying things and loses her. Bix, it turns out, has uh, entered another establishment and tells the uh, people there she's looking for Bendy Mesh Tech Filter, which may or may not be code here. Yeah, that's in the yellow racks in the back. You may have to dig a little past the cables here. She reaches uh, a little tower where there's a ladder inside uh there's a device she grabs an earpiece and then clacks on the keys clearly some kind of secret communication this portion of the story the introduction of pete what i would like to call hashtag sad tim that's with two m's and two d's uh and of course you know silly old tim what a goofus running into people and so forth it's almost like they're setting him up to have have his own little little story arc over maybe only two or three episodes uh but back to the main narrative here we go back to the inspector where he is upset with the button pushers uh that they're they're not getting more information on canary as a place they're not finding it faster i mean they're but getting some information even approve overtime matt uh it only matters if they don't get paid um so again there's this you know i don't want to suggest that this is a piled episode that is um you know going over the top in terms of let's, let's establish time and place and characters and all that if anything it's standing back and saying you keep track audience but it's another example of like the deputy inspector is the only one to be citing the specificity of things and all these button pushers are like look the best we have is an updated uh, imperial census from six years ago and you you wanna you wanna go over to uh to, to this other place where well, they have their own way of doing things and there's kind of a there's kind of like a you know less sigh to it all and uh and the deputy inspector chafes at that. Besides, they don't have a presence on Ferrix. Uh, isn't even under their jurisdiction. Well, technically. Uh, but this is the murder of two Primor employees. Just can't seem to get them to realize this, Matt. So a bulletin for questioning is sent out. Slam the channels. Flood it. He wants to hear anything that comes in. Um, 
on Ferrix. There are ships here. There's a Y-wing clearly visible. There's a man with hounds on a leash like the ones we saw roaming before. Uh, he asks Andor what he thinks he's doing because he's in the office, but Andor has refueled this ship, clearly used at the beginning of the episode, just like he told him. Is that an ID chip log? Yes, it's the old one. He put a blank one in here, clearly covering his uh, tracks. The boss comes over the PA here calling for Pegla, the other man. What in the name of job is going on out there? Uh, Pegla feeds him a story that he thinks the yard rats are back. Uh, the disembodied voice here is Zorby, uh, who says there's a customer out front and that those hounds better start earning their keep. Uh, Pegla tells Andor he's going to get them both in trouble. Uh, he better leave that ship better than he found it. The way he always does, yeah, yeah, says Pegla, the Cassian way. Um, Andor asks to borrow it again tomorrow, but Pegla tells him to close it and not come back. No more favors, no more deals. You're on your own. We flash back to the Kanari youth heading out on an adventure to the downed ship, we assume. Spoiler alert, yes. Uh, Cass's sister calls after him one more time. He says a goodbye, but sticks with the cool teens as the first episode concludes. And Pete, if you wouldn't know it, uh, episode two, That Would Be Me, starts with this very same youth's young Cassa stepping out of the forest, seeing an open pit mine that extends and extends, uh, which may be good news for some people, but I think we are meant to see with some sadness. This strip mined out area in the wide shot, uh, you know, decrepit in terms of the conditions. It's not fresh. The machinery is old and toppled, so it's been some time. Obviously, this, their home world, and interlopers beyond just the ship that has crashed. Uh, in a tower, a taller tower than we've seen Bix go up in to send a message, uh, it's hammer time, Matt, which tells us it's quitting time for the night. Indeed, in this uh, city center here that Pete, I would like to call Bricksburg, uh, the, the bell tower man strikes a ceremonial pose, then rings the bell with his two hammers, uh, causing different tones and such. Cassian on the streets uh, hears the bell, of course, as the day ends. Pegla is uh, shutting down the watch at that shipyard there. And I understand, Pete, your scanners detected something. Uh, the ghost. Oh, my. Is across from the ride that Andor borrowed to take to Morlana one. So maybe it was one of those, like, do you want to take the, that one? No, <laughs> let's take that old one over there. It's the Millennium Falcon or, or kind of that in reverse. The miners are hanging their gloves back up. Not miners, the, the workers, there's a minor vibe to them, but the, the workers are hanging up their gloves. I, I will say pete at this point in this episode in first view we don't know whether they're mining or 
stripping ships apart and so forth. But regardless, gloves hung up, night descends, but still Pete Cassian lurks on these streets of Bricksburg. Yes. Uh, Bix is reading. Meanwhile, Tim asks if everything is okay. Just tired, which seems to be a refrain throughout these episodes. Uh, Too tired for a meal? Well, that's not really our deal. Why don't we uh, set something fun up for tomorrow night? Um, And uh, she can lock up. He'll take care of everything else. Um, And then he sees what she was reading. Uh, The Premore Authority seeking a Canary male resident of Ferrix for questioning. Citizens with any information, please contact the Preox Morlana Security HQ without delay. And I particularly appreciated, you know, the text style and then the, the flashing emphasis there uh, as they present this. Bad Tim here looking over his lady's shoulder and so From forth. From sad Tim to bad Tim. There you go. At Marva's house, uh, she is looking comfortable. She wants B2 EMO uh, to not say a thing about the unspoken thing that we don't exactly know what it is at the moment. (laughs) Bad news, though, is hanging in the air. And uh, Cassian tells the Brasso lie. Uh, He would have come back, but he's been busy. Oh, I'm going to step away to get cleaned up. Um, But B is asked to read it now. And Pete, it is that very self-same bulletin looking for a canary mail wanted without delay and so forth. Uh, Marva asks, who else knows that you were born on Canary? Of course, the documents say he was born on Fest. All the documents are accurate, but who might you have verbally told? Uh, so, Pete, mystery and tension in the air. Yes, uh, people know. How many, though? Marva says that everyone she told is dead, but what about Jezzy? What about Sammy or Sam-O? Uh, those are family. Uh, all his women is who Marva's worried about. Femi or Carla or Sandrine. And then I love that B stutters out. <laughs> um, but who told these bad guys about Canari? Uh, that would be Andor. B says Bix uh, is looking for him and the calm has failed. Uh, and then powers down here. Marva asks what he's done, and he admits to messing up. We cut to Bix, who is getting a drink. Uh, she seems almost to sense Cassian coming in. Pete, that sense kind of in a story way, not a force way, at least at this juncture. Uh, they talk about the uh, the, the notice uh, that has been put out for him. Um, they also, uh, he, Cassian is also told that the buyer is indeed going to be coming. He'll be here in the morning. Uh, and that's enough to keep Cassian in place for a little bit. But Pete's spying from afar, from across the bar is Tim, dull Tim, uh, and Cassian steps away. But the camera stays with Tim, drinking in anger, walking in anger, sipping from his rather cool looking space flask. And he heads to a Star Wars phone booth. And makes a call. Pete, we know in our hearts that it is the call, despite the fact that the next scene shows that security has gotten a tip call. Yes, the comm officers have called him 
who is on the way up. That is your deputy inspector. Uh, Cassian Andor, this says he was from Fest, but it's a tip call. It's probably someone just messing with them. The female calm officer does not see Canari here. They have an image coming through, and they also have a rap sheet insurrection destruction of imperial property assault on an imperial soldier uh the deputy wants to know about this suspect here it is an image of cassian andor younger no beard yet um and we see the uh female employee from the uh leisure zone club has been brought in for questioning pete though i think we both raised our eyebrows a bit at the tony gilroy who urged his team to put aside their star wars reverence uh, i do credit him and the production here for not having a moment where it's like all right see so you're a working girl down there and you saw him see like do you do, do, do we and do you the audience remember that she was at the beginning of the first thing like it's just she has a distinctive look she was in the one episode even if for some reason you don't connect the two dots, they're like, we want more information. Hey, here's a lady with more information. And it's clear to all that the pieces are coming together without hitting us over the head with, uh, with dialogue here. Back to Tim. Uh, he's perhaps ready to retire for the evening. Uh, but Bix is at the door asking if it's not too late. She's invited in and Tim seems surprised at her interest in him. Uh, Bix takes off her coat. And wonders if he's all right, Pete. Suggestions in the air. They kiss. Uh, and they move into the bed area, which is partially not shown due to a partition. Uh, and one assumes what follows is uh, some non-Disney horizontal interactions. Sergeant Linus Mosk is at Deputy Inspector's service here. Uh, he's sorry to have been uh rousted in the middle of the night here but mosque says it's his privilege sir he's been briefed on the ride in uh there is a dangerous mobile suspect in a very serious crime uh one suspect so sergeant how many do you think we need oh about 12 officers to be prudent Mosk is so happy that they're going hard at this. Discipline is key. We need a stronger hand, uh, you know, with these uh, with these failed planets here. Got to get to those pockets of fomenting. Uh, good line here. I'm sure it's not a Star Wars original, but a just excellent line. The best way to keep a blade sharp is to use it. Uh, Pete, do you understand that Sergeant Linus Mosk might not be friend of the hero and so forth? The idea of police overreach, particularly when the description here, corporate tactical forces. What a deliberate line. Okay. These are not law enforcement people. These are company people. So clearly the empire needs whatever this company makes all right, here's your uniforms. We're not even going to give you stormtroopers who we know don't shoot straight. God knows, Matt, how bad these guys are if they're not stormtroopers. I'm glad 
this show is taking a strong stance against corporate security. And just as a reminder, don't steal a churro when you're at Disneyland or else corporate security. But Pete, back to the story proper here, back to Marva's house. She's waiting rather painfully. Uh, we go to Cassian, who's back at the downed ship. By the way, did you notice that some of the detrius behind the ship appears to maybe be a shredded parachute and so forth? We'll find out. Ooh, spoiler for episode three. We'll find out that this ship used to be Marva's ship. So I think in the production design here, some some elements of that. Um, he's looking for the tech item, uh, as referenced before, covered with a cloth. And if, Pete, you didn't remember all that it did or the stuff about the crystals and so forth, uh, so forth, is that uh, an intact Imperial seal? Because I do see the sweet Imperial branding on there. You know, all the cool kids want to see that Imperial branding on their tech items. <laughs> as well as a blaster, like the one that uh, Kyle Katarn from the Legacy video games and stories has brandished in the past in flashback casa uh finds the rest of the group uh crouched the girl speaks and then approaches the smoldering wreck there signaling the others as casa watches uh in the presence uh we have a ship over Ferrix here that a Bondor droid mod uh, is told to optimize the landing. How long will the walk be this time? And it's immediately um, recognizable. This is uh, Scanlon Skarsgård. Uh, it's going to be about 3.2 clicks away from the shuttle. There's nothing safe closer. His ship lands in a kind of crater, heads down the Star Wars-esque ramp uh, with a walking stick and uses his binox to check out the city and the port before we see face-forward Skellen Starsguard. In the morning, the bellsmith plays his morning tune. Bix rolls in the bed, wearing primarily a blanket. Pete, uh, implication understood, shall we say. Tim has been up, though, watching her like the creeper deeper that Tim is. Uh, she loves some calf, uh, and won't he open up the yard for her? She finishes dressing and takes that cup of calf uh, and is going to head to the yard. Just has to run a few errands. Won't be long. Pete, the sad transactional nature of what has happened in these last two scenes. I don't know if it's entirely clear to knob-headed tim but i think to we the audience the the implication of some some emotional or physical transaction here uh in order for her to facilitate these these errands and the uh the the visitation of the buyer and so forth all kind of sadly clear Andor checks a bag here looking for useful com links he has a bunch of crap here but b asks why he needs comes he could just come and tell him uh the intercom on the one that he finds uh is useful to tell us one that it works and two uh to have cassie and tell him that he's not listening to him but b is sad that andor has to go away um he needs to tell 
where the credits for Marva are hidden. Uh, if Cassian can bring the credits himself, he will. If not, that's why he'll need the comms to communicate with B. But B maintains that leaving is a bad idea, and B himself needs to get back because Marva is going to wonder where he is. Some of the interesting design here for B really shines home in this scene where we are so used to Star Wars droids being, you know, kind of rigid suits, rigid physical suits. Um, and then it's up to puppeteers or it's up to Anthony Daniels to kind of emote through it. The fact here that there's these movable portions in the puppet that kind of allow for bending the way like a straw can bend it gives B this ability kind of in an almost in, in an animation sense to have squash and stretch while still being this rigid robot. You know, this is not some sort of Looney Tunes animation with, you know, rubber skin or something like that. It's got squash and stretch while still being rigid. And it's just a great design because of course you can move B into all these different shapes to show emotions and so forth. Uh, and it's just inspired, inspired droid design. Uh, we go to Marva's home. She's looking for B and can't find him. She sees a toy Bantha and a toy sword, perhaps. I know we're about to find out that it's a, a blow dart tube. Um, but kind of the way she picks it up, if nothing else, the camera is saying, take a look at this weird, unique thing, because we're going to tell you more about it in the next scene. The flashback here to Casa watching that oldest girl bravely move toward the wreck there there's a body hanging out of one of the exits there's another on the ground with a gas mask the skin is kind of yellow something that it seems with each passing body that she seems gets more and more yellow or jaundiced uh there's an old republic insignia on the uniform uh, she nudges uh, the guy at the entry and he falls out. But the crewman on the ground that she passed rises with a blaster behind her and shoots her in the back. So the children scream. They fire those blow darts. As he fires, he can't hit them, but they repeatedly hit him. He is finally downed and they run to the girl and carry her away, Casa stays behind and eyes that entry. In the present day, Zanwan is upset, uh, looking uh, for information uh, about Canari. It's some mid-rim planet, abandoned and toxic, looking it up on his search engine there. It's definitely a no-go planet, period. Oh, look, Andor is here at my shop window, uh, Andor asking for a run to Tassar. Zan, give him a number for something off the books. Uh, well, that'll be 900 for immediacy and uh, and uh, discretion. Ooh, that's a steep price. They go back and forth a little bit, landing on seven. That 700 uh, is the floor, and they agree on it. Uh, with that, Pete, take us to what I believe is a new design. You'll correct me if I'm wrong. The Imperial tank ship, as I like to call it. It's not Imperial, um, this ship in hyperspace here with these drop pods attached at the front of it. Uh, Sergeant Mosk explains all about 
Cassian Andor holding up the hollow, uh, the two men just like them dead. There'll be a West team that will include uh, Deputy Inspector Karn and himself. They will serve the warrant and exfiltrate rapidly. The North and East teams will take position in case the subject flees. Uh, There may be local residents less than enthused about their presence. And you may remind them there's a territorial forum once a month where they're free to make official complaints. Huh? 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 Uh, But now, Pete, for a rousing moment, the deputy inspector will speak, Moss tells us. Uh, The deputy inspector pauses, kind of thanks them for being there. He's a little hesitant here. He speaks about the risk of doing nothing being the greatest risk of all. Go team, go, etc. It's not a great speech, and the deputy clearly is hesitant as he speaks about the concept of justice. Uh, But best of luck to us all, Pete. Uh, Is he the lieutenant from Aliens? Maybe... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> maybe they're related some way uh but when his speech is over is, company. Up... <laughs> is it is it really wyland yutani um mosque realizes this is the world's worst motivational speech but then claps because he's a suck up okay and then tells him it was well said and inspiring um back to the surface here we have uh scars guards yet unnamed buyer character talking to a character we're told in the subtitles is Willie kind of like him. They're in a shuttle here. They're circling. Oh, can you believe it? They get us coming and going. Uh, Willie asks what uh, Skarsgård's uh, line is, but, oh, I get it. You'd rather not say these days. Willie is in propulsion. If you can't find it here, it's not worth finding as the shuttle begins to edge down. And we see Andor hustling through the scrapyard as we end the episode. We go to episode three, Reckoning, starting again with a flashback. Young Casa entering the ship there, electricity crackling. He sees another body, also yellow Skin, alien skin, jaundice skin, poison air skin, question mark. Definitely quite dead, as is the next one. A door opens and he enters a sort of central computing area. Here's radio chatter. The tech here is clean and crisp. And see, uh, he can see his reflection, perhaps seeing it clearly for the first time. Um, perhaps he's just reflecting on the injustice of the situation and so forth. Uh, and he smashes at the reflection in front of him. In the present, scrapyard ships are cut apart and dropped. And Andor watches Brasso, who comes over. Uh, Andor thinks he has money on the way. And if it comes through, he's going to be out of there today. He will leave it with Marva, and she will have what Andor owes Brasso asks Brasso to keep an eye on her if he can. But where is he going? It's better that Brasso not know that, but he'll find a way back. 
the buyer's transport finally lands. Uh, I wondered, Pete, there was just an element there, kind of had a whiff of a of a beat up San Francisco trolley. I don't know whether that was just the red or I don't think I don't know if those trolleys have red and yellow. I don't remember, but just just had that slight air of of that. Uh, passengers step down and Willie, aka in my mind, Mister Chatty, suggests that the buyer steer clear of the hotel. Mind your wallet. Uh, we see the buyer walking the streets. Uh, we see Bix finishing a drink. Uh, and we see her seeing him, uh, the buyer, Luthien, I believe only identified by the, the, the subtitles here, is not worried. Uh, Cassian's rander, uh, record says that he is from Fest. Um, but if indeed Cassian did kill those men on Morlana, they had all better act quickly. Yes, he's in the east lot in building nine. Can he trust him? Uh, Bix says that Cassian will be there. Uh, the uh, ship that the Corpos are on whooshes out of uh, light speed, and then the three drop pods depart. Uh, Mosk and Karn in the one. On the street, uh, we have B which then flips over to a flashback where he is boarding the ship and explaining that the vapor density is acceptable. Uh, he is new. He doesn't have his one orange tread. Uh, there's a little bit more blue and green on him. The red's more vibrant. So we know this is in the past explains that the airborne concentration is minimal, no detectable gas toxicity. And uh, Marva asks a man who was there, uh, she is younger with the red hair, uh, if he is satisfied because she wants the console unit. In earlier scenes, uh, when I saw Fiona Shaw, you know, in the, the these later years, it was like, oh, Fiona Shaw, okay, life moves on for us all. And then here, boom, throw throw some uh, some red hair on Fiona Shaw. It's like, there she is, Ageless Wonder. The earlier stuff, that was just acting. Um, I also appreciate, too, in this scene, it's not, it's not uh, overwhelmingly apparent that this is the same uh, ship that Casa is on. You know, it, it's not a hidden mystery either, but it's kind of, you know, it's not like, there they are establishing shot outside the thing and seeing the bodies and so forth. Then they enter. Uh, so just, I like the story flair there, but back in the ship here, uh, the partner of Marva later identified as Clem. Uh, they said they would hurry and they're not hurrying. He's looking to swipe some goodies like fuel nodules. Uh, Clem just wants to leave now. Very concerned about the chronology of it all. They hear something off in the distance, farther and deeper into the ship, but it could be anything. Um, hey, it is uh, actually the moment where these stories are coming together because it's young Marva finding young Cassa, a.k.a. Cassian. He's raging out in that room where last we left him, much more smashed now. Uh, Clem likes his spirit, uh, but it appears Cassian does not speak uh, the standard tongue. And it also appears that perhaps Cassian is now carrying uh, Clem's blaster in the present, since this is the first time we see that style. Very unique of blaster. They might not want to be there when 
whoever this ship belonged to comes to clean up. And uh, Cass is brandishing his blow dart here. B tells us there's a Republic frigate approaching. And uh, Cass's eyes widen when he sees uh, B2 EMO for the first time. In the present day, three the three dropships make their way down. The security crew lands and disembark. Uh, the West team is with Mosque, and the North and East teams are going to be headed to their uh, their supportive spots. The workers see those blue shirts, and we see Cassian waiting pensively. Uh, we flash back to Clem stripping parts just as fast as he can. Pete, what happens next with this wild child? With uh, the report from B that the Republic ship is now in orbit, um, and Marva saying that they'll kill Cassa, Clem responds that they'll kill them, uh, asks B here for the Drowser, um, his people, uh, you know, they're, they're still here. But uh, those are people who just killed a Republic officer, Marva says. It'll be open season the moment that frigate lands. And she knocks Cassa out and carries him off because she's not leaving him to die. Back in the present day, the blue shirts continue to move into position. Uh, present day, older Marva has someone at the door. Gasp, it's the deputy inspector with a warrant for Cassie and Andor. They come in. Uh, meanwhile, Bix returns to the shop, noting a pile of stuff. Tim, sweet, simple Tim, steps away. Meanwhile, Marva's place is getting turned over, uh, and someone is at the door. Who is the someone? It's B, uh, there to, uh, to just be adorable, and if he doesn't play along, they're going to pull his power supply. Pete, horror of horrors. It's awful, and we feel for it here, but they overhear Cassian on the comm link um he needs b to respond is he in his little recharge uh bed um also wants uh b to tell marva that he is sorry and to make sure she keeps the heat on mosque of course traces this comm link it is east northeast but they're beginning to draw a crowd out front and they call the East team to tell them they're on the way. Back with Cassian at the meeting spot. Luthien is at the door. They meet face to face, albeit across this expansive space. Uh, and the door is locked behind Luthien. Uh, Cassian is alone. If you're alone, Cassian is offering the device up for 40,000 credits. Is the money here? Is the device here? A lot of uh, testing of each other and so forth. They, of course, could be scamming each other, and they question each other. And, Pete, we wonder, will there be any story pressure to make them work together, I don't know, maybe in the next couple minutes? Yes, but uh, this untraceable star path unit that can be used beyond the MacGuffin purposes, that uh, to track every Imperial coordinate for nine radial parsecs um, is important and also can't be checked because then the value will drop. Uh, their word, how good could that even be? Uh, yet Luthen knows where Cassian lives. 
uh, has Bix ever burned him? Uh, does Cassian even plan to stick around? Speaking of Bix, Salmon tells her there's a bunch of corpos looking for Cassian at Marva's. Uh, what in the name of Chob has he done this time? There was that bulletin last night, and we see simple Tim. You know, he just tells people things he shouldn't tell them. He's your classic oversharer. Uh, Bix puts it all together here at this point that someone ratted Cassian out. <gasps> she needs to find him. Tim tells her not uh, that he, Cassian, can take care of himself, unlike Tim, who needs a woman. Uh, but who? Uh, who are you even talking about? How do you know what we're talking about? Did Bix ever tell Tim that Cassian was born on Canari? How could he, Matt? Well, all I know is this, Pete, the revelation here of hashtag Tim the Rat. That's two M's Traitor. and D. Oh, even better. Uh, Cassian, it, we'll go back to him. Uh, he uh, doesn't open up the device. Pete, that would be breaking the seal and reducing the blah, blah, blah. But he, he shows the device and uh, Luthien sees multiple choices, uh, including that uh, Cassian might be a spy. But what Cassian has is something uh, that that uh, they can't skip over. Uh, Luthien wants to know how Cassian got this device. He'll pay another thousand just to know. Cassian says the key is walking in like you belong. A uniform, a toolkit, and dirty hands. They can't imagine it, can't imagine that someone like Cassian could get in and take and steal from them. And... Uh, a moment shown in previews and previous footage, but powerfully in context here. And Luthen says, they don't even think about us. Us, Cassian wonders. Uh, he doesn't know him, Cassian uh, doesn't, but Luthen knows him and that these days will end. Uh, they will think about them soon enough. Uh, and if... He's caught here. What will they do? Hang him on Rick's road of brick town here, Matt, uh, in the square. Wouldn't be the first time. That's where they hung Cassian's father, didn't they? Um, and Cassian draws on Luthen here, uh, who knows all about him and wants the box and leaves and will leave if that's all he can get but he came looking for something more and he thinks he's found it. He comes straight out here and says that he will like Cassian to come with him. He hoped for a more relaxed conversation, but they don't have time. Uh, he knows he killed the two corpos on Morlana one, and he knows they're coming for him. He feels this would be a waste of talent. And the right question is not who he is, but how much time they have to get out and would he like to fight them for real? Pete, the them uh, sworn about by Luthen. I won't repeat the, the, the word, but those guys are now on their way in. We cut to the green shirt starting to, to ring those 
you know, the, the local bells, the local metallic objects spreading the message of alert. Uh, that signal indeed does spread and the blue shirts hear it, even as locals, you know, close their doors and pick up their stools. And Pete, the only thing missing here, uh, maybe Tony Gilroy wrote out one of those reverential Star Wars things to make it seem more like a cantina and we don't have like you know keyboard guy duh, 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 all of a sudden stopping and closing his, <laughs> gotta go <laughs> exactly no that's too reverential for star wars um but kathy and wonder uh, kathy and oh is that a new uh is that a new ship slip uh, is it the team is it the ship i don't know but cassian kendor uh cassian wonders if luthan is an imperial spy i guess that's more of the i am rubber you are glue kind of thing luthan's device beeps uh and wait a minute does andor have a comm link why yes i do luthan smashes it rule number one don't carry anything that you don't control oh by the way the blue shirts are here pete uh seeing another um Freudian slip here. I see that I legitimately in my notes misspelled. Uh, not, I wrote not the blue shirts. I wrote something else uh, similar to the word shirts. <laughs> I think the sentiment, though, is the same. Yes. Uh, they're taking the doors. They're now surrounding Building 9. Uh, in the streets, Bix is told to stop uh, by some corpos. Uh, Mosk explains to Karn that they have uh, Andor pinned and it's time to close the snare. But the uh, corpos around Building 9 are waiting for reinforcements and Luthen wants to know how they will get out. Cassian's plan is gone. He says it's 40 clicks across the wasteland and Luthen competently says they just need a speeder. Um, Cassian says the best option for that is west into town. Uh, but where's this uh, little tunnel over here uh, that we're by go? It goes under the old furnace. That is the long way around. Um, but uh, at this point, Luthen produces another device. What's that? Well, <clears throat> he placed slap charges on the doors because rule number two is you build your own exit on your way in brace yourself and he blows it and what follows matt is maybe the most impressive set piece i've ever seen on a tv screen wow this has heavy metal hooks and chains and so forth start to fall and twist uh, and or wants that tech box but wait it's over there a firefight ensues great staging great stunts uh the main team uh is uh, of security folks are rushing to join the fight uh andor is almost at the box when it gets pushed farther away by more falling metal uh, there's also a, a sniper up high uh andor and luthan continue to run until cassian is hit by a metal hook more gears and hooks and chains fall and Luthen sees an exit in the back. Just barely. Will they make it? Uh, Pete, take us to security and chaos. Uh, will our heroes still be running? Well, they head out through that tunnel there. Out to the street. We've got Bix trying to escape. Uh, and she is struck. Uh, the brutality of it, Matt. And 
who inflicted such a brutality very clear to us um andor and luthan are now outside andor still wants to go back in for the box not what's in it matt but that it's in uh but luthan thought he was smart and then we see that troublemaker who is tim finding bix and pointing out to the corpos who've beaten her that she's bleeding and he gets shot yes he was not planning on uh somebody like him being at the uh at the business end of those corpos there but uh there he is shot shot dead bix is left half cuffed to the wall security gets an update uh hey it's not a him it's a they there's two men now we're fighting two people what's going on security takes up flanking positions the deputy enters a shop and closes the door behind him closes it part way no no he's in a sneaking position not a hiding position back to marva's place uh, she talks about the sound because you know, of course she's got a guard or two with her what is that sound the sound of a reckoning cassian and luthan are still on the run and uh, Marva says the reckoning keeps on coming. It's when the sound stops that you really want to worry. Why? She's asked. What happens then? Uh, and she chuckles. We have Mosk here, of course, uh, looking down from a sniper position. Um, and he drinks on the job. So we know, again, he's much more like those corpos from earlier in the episode uh despite his zealotry here so pete you're saying that uh for for mosque to, to to take a wee nip on the job might might not improve things uh, i guess time will tell in this fight here uh we see that the deputy is still looking out there then andor has a gun on him uh the deputy's gun is taken away then his comm the comm smashed uh luthan suggests that the deputy be killed uh, and perhaps a point of discussion, but it's put on hold uh, as as the story moves on to other points. Indeed, we have one blue shirt who gets to the, the, the dropship pod, uh, powers it up and takes to the air. Uh, he does not see that the pod has been hooked to a dead weight, uh, and he fights against it nonetheless, the, the weight dragging and ultimately snags a crane, leading to a crash. Wait, Pete. What does that mean? That means it was them. Indeed. And it also means that the the the, the people fighting the blue coats, uh, baddies to the blue coats, um, are, are behind us. We're facing the wrong way. And then, Pete, there's a swear word. The first in Star Wars history here as Andor and Luthen reach a garage with a couple choices of rides here is one the ghost <laughs> oh. it is not <laughs> oh man um andor wants uh wants more as they're looking here we go back to see a security man who has found the deputy who's been uh, been tied up and gagged and so forth uh he's free but look pete there's a car on the run speeding down the street yes definitely a george lucas inspired uh type of hot roddy speeder that 
all the corpos open fire on because you can't say stop to a car. You instead have to shoot at it with overwhelming force, causing it to flip over. Smoldering here, they approach it. And then, ha, 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 the speeder bike with Cassian and Luthen streaks away as the corpos had been celebrating. And then an explosive charge detonated by Luthen as they ride off. Oh, deputy poopy face. Sorry, bruh. Uh, we hear that Bacta is needed for some of the hurt blue uh, blue shirts there. Uh, and Intercut is the flashback of uh, Marva rescuing young uh, young Casa. Loot in tow, that's Intercut with old Marva, reflecting on life as B uh, looks on at her tears. B sighs, so sad, so sad, Pete. The speeder bike uh, cruising over these wastes here, uh, kind of like collection pools or whatever really really uh beautiful imagery as we're doing this and and bringing our flashback and our regular story together yes we see the bix is freed by her green shirt friends Uh, she goes to tim's lifeless body almost touching it uh brasso sips from his drink oppressed and sad as you mentioned pete the 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 pools the rice paddies whatever they might be uh being being uh, driven over by andor and luthan there mosk tells the deputy that they need to get out of here uh, the deputy is stunned uh, and uh, you know nose bloodied for the first time in battle that sort of thing uh even as luthan approaches his ship pete a, a, a neat you, you you thought the the thing in your pocket boop, boop, to unlock your car was impressive he whistles at his ship and starts to power <laughs> up and cut with the uh, ship that Cassian now uses as a hiding place years earlier, lifting off from Canari, uh, saving Cassa, but also bringing him to his new home with his new family that ultimately will lead him down the path to being one of the people that will help to kickstart the Rebel Alliance. People are starting to stand up. Just how will the revolution happen? So Pete, first theory-oriented question here. Obviously, we see Cassian Andor leaving and so forth. Will we get more Bix? Will we get more Brasso and so forth in future episodes? I know there's no more Tim. R.I.P. Tim. But, you know, how how galactic do we go and and or uh, that's and space or do we return (laughs) with and or one word to Bix and Brasso? Yeah, just who are our future rebels past Cassian? You know, I I think it's fairly certain that Bix Kayleen will be back, Matt. Um, You know, will Brasso do they ultimately have fates prior to uh rogue one uh in helping to set up the rebellion and the theft of the death star plans ultimately culminating in the destruction of that first death star at the battle of yavin 
five years from where the principal storyline of the show begins. I do think it's it's such a darkly fun place that this story gets to inhabit in terms of known, clear, unambiguous fates for let's say the character of Cassie and Andor. I know we don't have Mon Mothma yet, but clearly like you can't show me any scene in this show where they're like, watch out Mon Mothma or you're going to get it. Like we know that she's not going to be killed off between now and the, you know, her living through the end of return of the Jedi and so forth. Uh, But what is interesting is now we've spent three episodes with supporting characters like, uh bix like brasso you know marva okay marva as a character fiona shaw as an actress probably gonna see more of her but it's just this idea that if we don't see any more of them well they will have made a big impact and and been supporting characters that support the story thus far um and if it's not here then maybe somewhere else in the great continuing you know, Star Wars tradition of of going back and revisiting old characters and so forth. But similarly, it does not feel like, oh, this is actually here to set up the Bix spinoff that's happening in 18 months. You know, sometimes those flavors are successful on the Marvel end. Sometimes that game gets a little tiresome on the Marvel end. This just all feels very, like, if there is more Bix, fine. If there's more Brasso, fine. If it's here, if it's another movie, TV show, whatever, it'll work. But it feels self-contained within this story. It does. And when you consider that this was something that started with the company corporate end there, um, not so much espionage, but intrigue. Okay. Overreach by these corporate cops. Uh, a whodunit, if you will, but a whodunit that this chief inspector really you know, urged should kind of go by the wayside. You know, he's mentioned and the way that this mission goes, Matt, we have to wonder, you know, so chief inspector said, don't do this. Also, don't put your feet on my desk. uh, And I'll be back after I talk to the Imperials about, you know, make a super brief presentation about our low crime rates. And then his subordinate goes and mucks up this, you know, far too big for one uh, suspect mission. Um, we could assume, well, definitely one life is lost with the with the pod and the pilot of that. Uh, you know, Star Wars injuries being what they are, the the Bacta for the guys who got caught in the decoy speeder explosion. Um, But this is going to turn into a boondoggle. Does, uh, does the chief inspector get force choked or lightsabered because, um, you know, deputy inspector Karn is, you know, just too hype to be fresh out of the Academy with his, uh, you know, too tight uniform (laughs) i think if anything there's kind of the opposite possibility in terms of um look clearly the deputy inspector has made all these mistakes but i think i i could easily foresee a scene in this show not just kind of like in the in the mind's eye i could foresee a scene where you know 
as the deputy inspector is hauled off to prison or taken out back to be shot or has been they find his body as killed by Cassian Andor or whatever it might be um the chief inspector just comes back and goes oh boy wow you know 15 people killed because the deputy inspector didn't listen to me all right well let's see let's say that it was a gas leak and a mining explosion and there we go crime rate low like hey deputy inspector your efforts for justice with the capital j were so great that what's the official record gonna read you didn't do anything you didn't have an impact i mean obviously we as viewers know like he's not gonna stop andor and the rebellion and all of that um but that kind of being it becomes this less than a footnote in the historical record um as he searches for justice in a system that's telling him don't search for justice so it's like it's the it's the worst of all worlds in terms of their lacks on safety their lacks on following the law he's overreaching um pete i think just speaks to the the rot of the empire they made no uh illusions that they weren't sugarcoating the narrative here prior to the release of the show and then when you consider the two-tier timeline of these first three episodes and can we acknowledge that the the original plan of just the first two that would have been released on august 31st that would have ended with um you know all right they're coming down to get them and uh you know here's here's and or walking through a a, a scrapyard would have kind of been less than effective i would agree and i would also say i mean look as we have said time and time again hey disney plus you want to change release dates for something that you think is a better result well i'd rather you do that than give a false start or give a you know like have you know I'm less excited about Ms. Marvel because of Kenobi or things of that sort. You want to manage expectations to maximize audience happiness. Go for it. Um, I would say if they wanted to avoid burning, quote unquote, burning three episodes in one day and thereby, you know, one less week for the total or two, two less weeks and so forth. Like this could have been solved literally years ago when you're looking at scripts and you're like, we want something that's, you know, just a, 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 flash bang knock down the door first episode or first two episodes um kind of thing make sure that you have kind of an end of an end of an act uh in two episodes that could have been the mandate if that was not not the mandate fine there's an end of act uh by act i mean kind of in a, in a season sense that we get at the end of this or it's you know uh Luthen and cassian together uh andor has left the planet here there's been the kind of, at least thus far, the separation from him, the adoptive mom, and his, him and lady friend. And, and you know, this is an end and, and a beginning in a way that the second episode was not. So I don't know what the subscriber retention impact would have been versus is now with two episodes versus three episodes. Uh, it's a better product getting the first three episodes as a complete bite uh, in the first week. It is, and particularly with that, you know, action-oriented 
third episode, the biggest one we have so far. We had the run times on the, the first four episodes ahead of time. Um, so to see that and, you know, where the bites go from here. What's next but, week's episode's runtime? Uh, hang on. Let me go back. I, mean, I know it's right around all. All these are right around the same. A, they're right around the same length. But B, as I was watching this with my wife in the room and kind of gamely supporting me in the latest Star Wars show that I'm podcasting. So kind of like around and watching, but also not like, now hold on one second. Who I, I, I spy here that Tim is watching from across. Like, it wasn't that level of watching. Um, and an episode would end and she'd be like, oh, that went quick. And I'd be like, well, you know, it had some pace to it, you know, but it's, you know, that, that was 43 minutes long. It's like, well, no, there was a 30-second Star Wars thing, and then there was a previously on, and then there was an Andor title card, and then there's probably, I didn't count, there's probably six minutes of credits at the end. So, you know, a 42-minute episode still is about 35 minutes of story. But anyhow, Pete, what what is next week? Can you tell me the future? 47 minutes. Back to kind of theorizing here, Pete. I know through footage, and despite the fact I'm trying to avoid spoilers, I know we're going to go to you know, more core systems and we might even end up on Coruscant and meet senators. And... <laughs> What's that? Might. Yeah. Might. Um, I do. I very much appreciate in, okay, Tony Gilroy, sit down in the star Wars tradition. Like we have left the somewhat more simple home. You know, this is not the, this is not the, the, the grand um, middle of nowhere that Tatooine is and, and the full on, you know, cowboy desert middle of nowhere type thing. But We've left this very nice planet and we're headed towards bigger and better things. I like the open nature of it in terms of we really can go to familiar planets or unfamiliar planets or whatever it is. We're kind of clearly propelled there. I think, frankly, that's another bonus of ending with the third episode. That's not like, all right, I'm digging like, you know, the poor, oppressed mining folk. I know they're not actually miners. They're stripping stuff down but like the aesthetic is you know welsh mining town where you can't ever quite get out but if you're okay breaking your back and uh you know having having a drink at the end of the day then that's your life um i like that we can reasonably say next week we're not there next week we're going somewhere new again not a complaint about the setting just it's star wars not you know uh one planet wars and two right off the bat to establish this mystery of Cassian, young Cass's sister, and to see their last meeting, um, that he does not know the name that she's going by, that we don't know her name, that clearly she's not dead. She'll pop up again in the story. So the search for her, how that goes knowing that he already at this point has an imperial prison record will there be other flashbacks will we see where you know he assaulted uh an officer and how that all went down um there's you know evidence from the trailers uh his facial hair is gone at certain points so does he either shave or is he younger remains to be seen but you know 
with nine remaining episodes of a 12 episode first season there is a second preparing for production this fall um you know the amount of story they're going to tell there's going to be a lot more uh you know in terms of time coverage in the second season uh moving right up to rogue one but a lot to explore now that we've seen these first three episodes Pete, your beloved Tony Gilroy has said, and I quote, what you've been told, what's on Wikipedia, is really all wrong. So what is it in this pre-rebellion period that we are going to learn about where our assumptions the entire time have been wrong? I mean, again, I don't understand why a guy who works for star Wars is out there telling you like, Oh, this other star Wars stuff is wrong. You could just say, we're going to tell you stories you don't know anything about, but instead taking a shot. I, I feel that's, that's false. Um, you know, and I, I don't want to make it one against the other, anything like that, but you know, and to the other end of the spectrum, you know, I don't bow at the altar of, oh, well, John Favreau and Dave Filoni have replaced Star Wars and all the YouTube clickbait nonsense about a civil war within Star Wars and, and Lucasfilm, which is hogwash. OK, because uh, guess guess who greenlit this show? The same she greenlit Mando and Book of Boba Fett and Ahsoka and Obi-Wan Kenobi and all the other stuff in development, Acolyte and Tales of the Jedi. It's Kathleen Kennedy, man, and she's helping to make this happen. And I think building off of that, Pete, I look, all these headlines of like, finally, Star Wars has left Baby Yoda behind. Like, you know, no one complained when the first two seasons of Mandalorian were nominated for Best Emmy, uh, Best Drama Emmys, right? Um, I will say, I appreciate that Kathleen Kennedy is overseeing a Star Wars division that is not entirely reliant on one kind of thing. Um, Honestly, Pete, Maybe they looked next door to their to their uh, star star mate in uh, pop culture. You know, this is what Star Trek Universe has done. Yes, it's similarly. I mean, if you want to say it's all under Alex Kurtzman, the way it's all under Kathleen Kennedy, so be it. But the way you say we're going to, it's all Star Wars, it's all Star Trek, depending on which universe you're talking about. But you know, in Star Trek, we're going to skew a little more here, we're going to skew a little more there, and so forth. Star Wars is already used to saying we have our core thing. Now let's do, you know, for kids, let's do the Ewok show, let's do the cartoon. They're used to that, to kind of sit and say, you know, in the first five minutes of this Andor show, if you're old enough to pick up on it, okay, he's going to a house of ill repute, there's police or security overreach, uh, and then, you know, somebody is killed by accident, uh, and then somebody is shot in the face for being a bad cop. Okay, like this is definitely not the same flavor as Kenobi. And I'm appreciating most of all that Kathleen Kennedy is overseeing the fact that we can have different flavors because mm -hmm. both work for me. And I don't know, five years from now, 
you know, is it the dark Star Wars universe? And somebody goes, what if we did, you know, light again? Like, whatever it is, keep these different flavors going because it all shouldn't be legacy characters, six episodes with a great return of a fan favorite in the third episode who leads to a big fight in the sixth episode. Like, let's keep it mixed up here. Let's also not forget the introduction of Cassian Andor as a character in Rogue One, okay, where he murders a dude in cold blood, okay? How does he get there? And did we see the very first murder he ever committed, the very first life he took, the the one by accident, and then the one intentional to try to cover up for that accident, knowing the way it was going. The speech he makes in Rogue One, okay, we've all done terrible things in the name of the rebellion, we're saboteurs, we're, we're murderers, we've taken lives, now let's do this really good thing. So are you saying with, the, with his killing of Guard 1 and Guard 2, are those the two deaths that then make him a double O, or is that just a different story entirely? <laughs> Pete, let's talk about the biggest pressing matter here, okay? Something that really is weighing on a lot of people's hearts. As, as he leaves there at the end of the episode, okay, will we see B2 EMO again in, in, in the present-day timeline? Uh, yes. And, you know, when can I have my own BT, B2 EMO? Because, you know, you differentiate the design enough, not uh, round like an R2 or a, a BB unit, okay? Not an astromech style droid, this boxy shape, even the, the pieces that move underneath. Uh, you know, under the chassis, and as you mentioned, the, the puppetry to it, and then you put the the voice to it, you know, and, and we have, when we talk uh, the, the mail from our listeners and people who have watched the show, the comparisons to uh, robots, particularly some Disney robots from before, uh, but another in a great lineage, and, and they make you care immediately. My biggest fear, Matt, we have K2SO down the road. That's going to happen eventually. May season not... two. Season two. They've already it... said, don't expect that season one. I See, I had not seen it definitively um, not season one. But we know eventually on Andor, we're going to get that story, okay, of how he reprograms K2 and they develop their thing. Um it better not come at the cost of B2 EMO because, you know, what's the what's the meme from Brooklyn Nine-Nine? You know, I've only known him for three episodes, but uh, I will kill for him. And uh, if any harm comes to him, yeah. Uh, Pete, I, this question, uh, I'm, I'm going to channel Disney CEO and former Disney head of parks, Bob Chapek. How long until we see... Uh, fan footage taken out in the wild. How long until B2 EMO shows up at the parks? I, they're just incorporating um, Din Djarin and uh, Grogu in Batu. So 
it has there been a delay because of covid and obviously people not going to theme parks um at the level that they had been i think eventually and then there's the time to develop the real world mechanics of a thing we're seeing edited you know both as a puppet and i'm sure there's a cgi b i i would propose it's easier to do a b2 amo for parks than it is make sure you have a robotic remote controlled child who's in a sack that also carries the battery and like all that stuff but pete these are good good problems to have um why don't you swing us back away from the parks and properly into the galaxy far far away let's talk canari here which we're told was a small mid-rim system and then there's this mystery about it it's prohibited by uh the empire um cassian got out what's happened to it um we know that the death star does a test fire on um jetta um is it possible matt they had proto weapons before that and maybe it doesn't exist anymore Certainly the way that is all presented, it's one of those sticky story points that's meant to remain with you while not being as powerful as like, but will he find his sister? You know, it's one of those things where when, not if, but when they circle back, you kind of remember that, yeah, there was all this stuff and there was a no-go. And that's weird because what we saw was just like indigenous people who come across a thing and, and so forth. Um, I mean, part of me says good theorizing that it could circle back into the larger Star Wars mythos. And I know I kind of, I keep going back and forth from like, you know, our hero, Tony Gilroy, making his own thing, you know, to like Tony Gilroy, who thinks Star Wars is for nerds and he's going to de-nerd it. I, you know, I'm playing both roles here, but, you know, this show already is a prequel to the Rebellion. Does it also need to have elements that are a prequel to the Death Star? Um... I mean, if I'm in the writing room, I would veto that. If I see it as a viewer, I'm not going to necessarily get upset because I think it'll... I mean, look, the show has clearly said this planet has something going on with it that's more than they mined, they strip-mined it and took everything they wanted then just up and left. So, you know, certainly to be continued there. Let me ask you this, Pete. Do you think that's something that gets addressed this season or are they thinking into the next season? So we know from the promotional stuff put out before the second trailer that Saw Gerrera is in this first season. Saw Gerrera carries on him, and we've seen him use it, um, a breathing apparatus. The gas that was on this Republic frigate, I, I think there's a connection there. And I was a little unclear and maybe maybe you can give more direction here with your star wars knowledge or maybe it's meant to be unclear at this point so the gas that was on there is that what is that what killed the crew and turned their skin yellow like is that definitive or is that just implied to be definitive in in any way but you know that what do we know about canari accident 
toxic. Can't go there. Okay. Also, it's the site of a, a decrepit, you know, left to rot strip mine. If that was indeed done by the Imperials. I mean, the one thing that doesn't work for me about these episodes, I don't find the Casa actor. Uh, if he's supposed to be playing a six-year-old, that doesn't look like a six-year-old. Um, the line from Cassian in Rogue One that he's been in this fight since he's six years old. Okay, does that, you know, say that they were living on Canary with no adults around? And really, if you think about it, it's it's kind of a proto-Ewok empire story, okay? Um, you know, we have that one elder girl, and she dies, and, you know, Cassian's story separates from that. Um, will we get more when we catch up to Cassian's sister um, and everything that could transpire there? But um, I think that they established some sort of toxin here, whether it was cargo and got, you know, uh, accidentally triggered on this ship, uh, or whether they had been attacked by it. Um, and does this trace back to another prominent character we know who is going to appear in this show that needs help to breathe? who isn't encased in a walking iron lung and uses the force. <laughs> I would also say too, just as we prepare for the next nine episodes of this season, um, that line of been in the fight since I was six years old, you know, maybe this way rogue one, um, had four writers involved in it. And let's not forget Tony Gilroy came in for rewrites and then directed the reshoots so point being could we retcon and say when he says he's been in the fight it's because he meant i've been fending for myself since i was six years old not the right. fight that you thought i was talking about which is at age six that was when the stormtrooper <laughs> knocked me down and said <laughs> local dog and i said i will rebel against you empire you know that sort of thing um Again, it's just it's it's interesting to think that this is the Tony Gilroy show leading to a movie that he helped make better, but leading to a movie that he was not involved with from Jump Street. It's 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 the way it goes, I guess. So why did that ship crash? I am going to. I'm going to propose that it's whatever made it crash will never be important enough to be discussed you know sometimes uh you know hyperdrive motivators go bad and sometimes engine casings come loose and this was just a freak thing and it was a freak situation and an inciting incident that jump starts maybe not in our chronological viewing of the story but in terms of the life of casa you know this is what jump starts his life into the the path of being involved with uh with uh the andors and all of that i i really don't think the cause is gonna be one of these classic things when i go back and listen ahead of season two and there's like episode 10 the big 
sabotage job where they make the ship crash and it's explained in every intricate detail and that's it's because it's bail organa in a sleek uh black jumpsuit and he puts the bomb on there this is where i'm gonna look back and go oh, i wish i took the stance the other way but i'm saying right now whatever made it crash is not important enough to be a blip on our night sky space radar did you recognize the planet wabani <sighs> sounded familiar but i didn't investigate deeper than that that of course is the planet where Jin Urso is rescued by K2SO. Okay. Okay. So I like I mean I don't think it's suggesting more than a neat call out, but um if nothing else they're in the same the the same neck of the woods sort of thing. So I appreciate that. Is the ghost merely a cameo if it's even the same ship? Okay. Um, yeah. Or is it just like, oh, that was another ghost model starship that was partially for sale? Or, you know, is Brasso going to be walking down the street and, oh, there goes uh, Freddie Prince Jr. and he's going to use some of his credits to buy a starship? Um, <laughs> I would like to see the latter. I do have a that's on the one shoulder and the other sh shoulders it is a little Tony Gilroy saying stop being so reverential we're not doing little <laughs> secret setups to to the to another show that's a we're going to reference the the origin of how a cartoon started no real world keep it focused on that keep it focused on Andor keep it focused on the rebellion we're not so going to set up a lot <laughs> what's that in my real world used starship lot where yeah. You put an Easter egg to a beloved uh, cartoon to this point, something that's eventually going to be done in live action in Ahsoka. Maybe some of the uh, some of the special effects people. It's weird. Side note: It's weird that when Star Wars hires Industrial Light and Magic, nobody's like. Oh man, they're making me work 22 hour days and they're yelling at me and whatnot. That seems to be a Marvel problem with the vendors that they use. Um, but I digress. Pete, maybe, maybe ILM or whatever, I'm sure they had help from other VFX houses. Maybe the ghost was slipped in as a little loving Easter egg. And when they showed the footage to Tony Gilroy, he was like, Oh, awesome. The lot where there's all the crappy ships. Okay, good. And make sure the, the space dogs are extra space doggy let's go on to the next scene <laughs> the space dogs from another don't give them five legs dogs have four legs keep it real from another a star wars story uh pete continuing the redemptive arc of things related to the solo film we saw that iconic blaster bat will we see kyle katarn you know it's funny because look i'm not a gun guy but I've played, you know, I've played me some shooting games over the years, and I certainly have played um, plenty of Star Wars games. And when I saw the gun in this episode, I was like, all right, you know, in the context of my sci-fi TV shows and so forth, that's a cool looking gun. Uh, maybe, Pete, in the, in the base of my brain, it was activating missions spent. I remember that first level particularly well. Um, at least elements of it. So maybe it was just, it was calling back to those times. Um, and uh, so will we see the character? 
again, I mean, again, I know I'm arguing both sides of the Tony Gilroy voice here. I feel like this show is already setting up, you know, the wide expanse of the rebellion that ultimately topples the Galactic Empire. Along the way, I don't necessarily need the little kind of cutesy-wootsy cameo-type thing. Um, you want to say, you know, after the fact, well, that was secretly uh, Kyle Kyle Katarin, Kyle Katarin. Okay, cool. Um, much as, like, we had, what, Mark Hamill voiced the bartender droid in Mandalorian, like, stuff like that where you go, that's a really neat Easter egg, but that did not become a moment of distraction in the story. Um, I, I don't think Tony Gilroy is letting distracted moments like what this is a guy from a video game that 40 year olds will really enjoy cut it because in the real world blah 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 will there be more of clem in flashback absolutely um if only because like we have him in flashback he's not around in the present day okay uh let's fill in those gaps and that you know I personally would like to move on from the flashback story. I feel like, great, we've established how Cassa became Cassian. Um, but, you know, and frequently I'm that way with flashbacks. Like, we okay, get it done. We have the information. Let's move on. Uh, look at you, Book of Boba Fett. But I think we're going to get more of that flashback era storyline. Lastly, who is Luthen? I know that Stellan Skarsgård... Uh, referenced how once he had the costume and the different wigs on i want to highlight that different wigs um all he had to do was change what he did with his hands and it was like here's all all the different sides of the guy or the wigs and the hands um so i think clearly he's kind of a proto-revolutionary uh i suspect we're going to see him or, or let me back up we have seen him already comfortable in the rough and tumble world of you know, black market parts. And now he wants to meet the guy behind it because he, you know, he wants to get more out of it. Presumably he wants to, you know, get rebels together, that sort of thing, get rebellious personalities together. Um, we're going to see that he's equally fine on a, the fine dining world on the, the high muckety muck world and so forth. So who is he back down? I mean, my goodness, Pete, maybe that's an excuse to do a three episode Luthen flashback art. Uh, arc wouldn't that be fun is he some sort of spy master is he a senator that you know they just don't recognize on this planet without a different wig on like oh i saw you on the hollow when you had white curly hair and here you have brown hair i mean politicians wore wigs uh, indeed, Pete, the state of Arizona has a current uh, senator who uh, would frequently uh, wear wigs, particularly during kind of the, the, the worst of the COVID era and so forth. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if she makes it out of the primary round when she's up for that. But I digress. Um, is he a spy master? That could be a fun twist. Could he be a senator? I'm going to say uh, uh, I'm going to say no towards that. It is kind of interesting. It's interesting to theorize about a show like this that has so many episodes in the first season and so many episodes for the entire series in 24 episodes and kind of not having... We've had Star Wars shows before, but like, what is the flavor of a Star Wars show? It's kind of not set. You know, we've had the Favreau-Filoni stuff. 
we've had the non stuff and specifically with uh kenobi and now this this a different leadership team than kenobi so like unlike for example gee whiz pete in a marvel movie the best you know a friend in the first half is going to be turn enemy in the second half you can just set your watch by it does that mean that's the case here no so i'm not quite sure Our rebel spies have sent us some secret transmissions. Let's go to Twitter, Pete, uh, where there is the Twitter poll now concluded. Uh, the lowest rung, uh, one blue coat got 3.7%. Two good green pals got 0%. Three red hot explosions got 22.2%. And then the highest uh, vote here, four golden suns got 74.1%. Some replies on Twitter, Bob Keeley at R. Keeley says, I expected the third episode to be something special, and it was. Almost the entire episode is one big action scene. These three episodes are a great start to the series. I'm very impressed. Next, we hear from Noel Gardner at Noel Camille. Andor is the perfect amount of slow burn. It's taking its time to flesh out the characters and story. There is not a Skywalker or Tatooine sand dune to be seen, and I love it. I'm loving all the new planets. Plus, we do have an adorable new droid to love. On that topic, Spider-Ham Lincoln at TessLC139 says, Andor's lovable droid to uh, B2EMO reminded me a bit of a cross between Chopper from Star Wars Rebels and Pete, a droid that is near and dear to your heart, Bob from the 80s Disney movie The Black Hole. Well, not just Bob. Don't forget Vincent, too, uh, the, the better in shape uh of those two droids from the black hole and if you don't know the black hole which is on disney plus maybe fill the wait uh between now and you know just one episode of andor this week or fill your time after just one episode of andor this week to watch the black hole yeah i'd recommend watch it at night so it can put you to sleep back to <laughs> spider ham lincoln who says i haven't met a disney plus star wars show i didn't like Andor is beautiful in its presentation captivating in its storytelling and a wonderful addition to the mythos set in a galaxy far far away they really know what they're doing next up pete we hear from david siller at siller david poet for those of us who have devoured collections like tales from java's palace and tales from the most isley cantina two books I've enjoyed two books I've referenced before. So, David, this is already off to a good good start here. This glorious Star Wars universe story, uh, diving into the life of one character is absolutely wizard. Three episodes in, we are totally invested and immersed. So much to digest and love. Favorite element has to be the Canary flashbacks and not having dialogue to guide us. Just the music and the acting and the visuals. Reminds me of Lucas and his desire to make a new hope. A compelling adventure story that would work even if we only had an evocative score uh, and powerful images without dialogue. I can see George saying, what if, what if there was no words? <laughs> uh, back to David. My only complaint, if it is one, is that the brothel had electronic music on a PA rather than a classic Star Wars, uh, Star Wars house performers like Figurin' Dan and the Modal Nodes or Snice Snoodles and the Max Rebo Band. Uh, but David says, who am I kidding? This opening trio of episodes makes me without a doubt hungry for more Andor. Fits perfectly into our little Star Wars universe, the galaxy far, far away until next week. Stay fantastic. Pete, uh, there is one other live act or, or live band that David didn't mention that might've been best, 
Uh, live Star Wars bands that David did not mention that might have been best in the brothel. I'll let people look up what the name of the band was in the uh, in the cantina there, but I, I think that would have been best. I think it's a style of music that you're referring to that they wail. Um, <laughs> so yeah, uh, I got a Daft Punk Tron vibe, which again disney family could not be um accidental uh love it and again you think of the palette you know of these episodes and and they didn't do it in a in a grim dark murder verse you know snyder star wars way i mean matt i know you can't wait till principal photography wraps on uh zach snyder's not star wars movie titled i have no idea he's making another movie and it's called rebel moon oh wow good job buddy it's not star wars because he hasn't been invited to star wars yeah um Pete, I will just say thank you for correcting me that the name of the band is Figuring Dan and the Modal Nodes, and what I'm referring to is the type of music that they play, and people can look that up on themselves uh, for themselves, but I still stand by the overall observation. Back to Twitter, Twitter at Law, K-C-L-Y-L-E-1 says, so far I'm liking it, and it's a quarter over already. Diego Luna is great, and I love that we're getting some backstory throughout. Nice to see Selvig, I mean Skarsgård, back on screens. The supporting cast is super, and I love a good pew-pew-pew battle. Looking forward to more. Andre Yeager, Dr. Polo1988, says Andor has a totally different feel than any other Star Wars property, and I love it. Three episodes in, and I already care for these characters and have a vested interest in where the story is going. They have hit this one out of the park. James is sagacious. Big Killin' on Twitter says, so far it's perfect. I was surprised by the depth of characters. I'm hooked. And last tweet, Pete is Rose Ferry at Anna Rose 584. The parallel backstory, uh, she says actor, I think she means acting, is excellent. Can't wait for more episodes. Wish we would understand, I uh, wish we could understand Canari. Pete, what feedback do you have? On Apple Podcast, Matt, Dr. Steve T has left us a review here. Uh, Hearts of Kyber, he writes five stars. And it reads, another Disney Plus show, another Fantastic Geek podcast. If you are a Star Wars fan, Matt and Pete have the same priorities. If you have never listened to their library of podcasts, then in the words of Mon Mothma, it's a chance for you to make a fresh start. Well, thank you for those kind words. I've never thought of it as a library. Does that mean we have a tender like the, the, the Jedi librarian or something? That would be be fantastic thank you thank you thank you pete to the email inbox we go hearing from stacy who says as follows in a email subject line all caps and or exclamation point exclamation point exclamation point exclamation point good morning matt and pete i was delighted to find uh that the disney star wars shows continue to get better with each one the mandalorian didn't do anything for me book of boba fett was fine kenobi was great but Andor blew me away the casting was amazing I've never seen Fiona Shaw in anything like this, but she killed it. And to look at this show, gritty and realistic. Oh, 
Right now, a Tony Gilroy's got his wings. Uh, back to Stacy. Something I always appreciate is when creators presume that the audience is smart. Dropping us into Cassian's life uh, this way is great. We will catch up. And the flashbacks. The kids all speak Canary, but there's no translation because we really don't need it. A spaceship crashes. They decide who will go check it. Then they do. The details aren't important. I also love the look and personality of B, another great droid design. Forget flying cars. When do we get droids like Star Wars? Favorite thing about B, it takes more energy to lie than tell the truth. If that ain't saying something, we're looking forward to seeing what's next. And as always, looking forward to your thoughts. That's from Stacy, aka Stingray, aka Trek Girl 88 on Twitter. Yeah, I think Stacy really hits the nail on the head when you talk about Andor and, you know, the itch that it scratches. Pete, as we just crossed the two-hour mark for this podcast, we could not do it without those who support us on patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, particularly thinking about all that storage and bandwidth that we're going to be gobbling up in uh, these next four weeks, our, our, our golden cup weeks here. Uh, so our thanks, as always, to those patrons. Three podcast episodes for three TV shows for these next four weeks. And that's assuming no kind of news breaks, Matt, in your Marvel, in your Star Wars, in your Star Trek, anything geeky uh, we might touch on uh, otherwise. But uh, everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content all sorts of levels to donate at, but you can uh, get there just a dollar in that door. Can't do it this month. You could be like Dr. Steve T. Get on over to the Andor podcast by Fantastic Geek. Leave us a rating in seconds. Help us, you know, somehow defeat the algorithm and wind up in front of everybody's eyes and in their ears, or leave us a review in just a little while longer all of which help us immeasurably. And certainly, Pete, let's keep the Star Wars conversation going, Star Trek conversation going, MCU conversation going. How can people be in touch with you on Twitter? Find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 12,732 followers. Can't get me wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast, comment on fantasticgeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, and Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the PH, all one word, like it today. If you're listening to the Pop Culture Podcast feed, tomorrow we'll be talking the latest episode of Star Trek Lower Decks. And then, of course, back this time next week for uh, Andor Episode 4, if you can believe it. Got our She-Hulk on Friday, settling into that spot as well. For now, though, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Rule number two, build your own exit on your way in. 